1: It's Big Blue Banter, the answer to all your Giants matters, from run game to coaching to Bob Shepard's timbre, hosted by Dan Schneier, analysis on fire, a Giants fan since day one now preaching to the choir, joined by Nick Filato. breakdowns with bravado, passing you the facts like he passes on gelato, from just outside New York. A couple football dorks. A killer podcast when Dan says receiver corpse. corpse. They do the play-by-play, dropping almost every day. These experts know the X and O's just like Danny O'Shea. They do the review of the All-22, dissecting every throw. you Uminiora lit up in Venora when he was a guest on the show. So there you have it. A podcast for Giants fans who are rabid. Who can't wait for Sundays, the NFC East, the Fantasy League standards. We'll see you back here. It's Big Blue Banter.
2: Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants Football Podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. joined as always by my co-host, Nick Filato. It's a victory Tuesday. That means a victory all 22 breakdown of the offense. That's where we're starting tonight on this show. Obviously, as you know, if you're if you're a long-term listener of this podcast, we do a breakdown of the offense on all 22, then we do a breakdown of the defense on all 22. But there's a little new addition to the Big Blue Banter podcast starting this week. We're doing Giants in 10, which are going to be short 10-ish minutes type breakdowns. Some will be on the podcast feed. Some will be on the YouTube page. Right now we have two on the YouTube page. So go check it out, please. If you enjoy the show, you know I always asked to help support us. The best way to support us is by leaving us a rating and review on iTunes. Give us a five-star, leave us a review there, ask a question. We got to get to these questions, Nick, by the way. We need to schedule sometime later this week a mailbag pod. And so we'll ask for questions as well on Twitter with regards to that. But if you already did all that, go ahead and unsubscribe and then resubscribe again to the podcast and re-leave a review. I heard that works, and I heard that helps podcasts move up. So. We'll take that. We'll take all the tricks of the trade. But why I'm saying this is because we're now going to dive into the YouTube page a little bit deeper. So get on board with us there. Get in the early stages. Jump in there. We got two videos up. One was breaking down five key plays that changed the game. Me and Nick put the plays up on the all 22. So You'll get to see video clips of those plays via the All-22 on the YouTube page with us talking over the plays, a voiceover. Then we also have a little breakdown of how we would approach the wide receiver position. At this stage of the game, considering one, if Shepard returns healthy, if Slayton returns healthy, what do you do then after what Kadarius Tony put on film after what John Ross put on film this week? And we're going to talk all about that as well on today's show. This is the all 22 offensive podcast. So Before we dive into some actual all 22 offense, Nick, how are you doing tonight? My friend doing excellent. I love how you term this, Dan victory Tuesday. And we have this.
1: Great tape that we were able to stumble across, studied the film, and I'm very pleased with what we were able to see from the offensive side of the ball, more specifically towards the end of the game. And there's a lot to kind of dive into, and I'm excited to talk about it with you, my friend.
2: And it's funny because you said stumbled into the tape that we're reviewing tonight, and it really is true. I mean, those of you probably know if you follow us on Twitter, the depths that us and several content creators have had to go through this season to find all 22 film of the giants NFL game pass is being stingy NFL game pass. I don't really know why they're doing what they're doing, but they're not releasing tape unless you have a VPN and you're over or you're overseas for whatever reason. So each week at this point, me and Nick have stumbled on tape in a different way. Literally all three weeks we've gotten the film in different ways, or I'm sorry, all four weeks we've gotten the film in a different way. So, I don't know what that means for us in the future. This way we found it this week, though. I think we have now for the rest of the season. I hope, fingers crossed. And this is also the best way because now we'll be able to break down the plays with timestamps and by by play-by-play. That's how this film is broken down for us. Obviously, it didn't translate the best to Twitter, in my opinion, because I put some videos up on Twitter. A little bit grainy. Not the best quality. Got some comments on that. But what can you do? Trying my best here. Absolutely. And you know what? You keep trying, Dan. You keep trying. You're going to figure it out, bro. Yeah. All right. Let's dive into the offense now. Like you said, I think the key to this offense and to this game was it was the breakout game for the offense. Yes, they put up some points against Washington, but this was the game where they threw for over 400. This was the game where seemingly in that second half, once they got going and once they needed to put their foot on the gas, which by the way. It shouldn't have to happen like this. You don't need to wait till it's 2110 to start going empty sets. You don't need to wait till it's 2110 to start spreading the field, increasing the tempo and throwing the football. You can take advantage of that early and often because this offense, this passing game is clicking right now. And we saw signs of that in that second half. And that's what has us really excited right now. 400 yards plus passing for Daniel Jones for the first time in his career. Before this, I believe 350 something was his career high and By that second half, man, they just had no answer for what the Giants were doing. And what has me most excited from the overall standpoint, Nick, is that we saw a lot more passing concepts that I think are more modern in today's NFL. One, two, put more stress on the safeties. Now, albeit maybe that was somewhat to do with the personnel the Giants had, the receiver position, this game versus other games. But I think a lot of that is just route combinations by Garrett. And three worked to what we saw Daniel Jones have success with throughout his career. Now, most of Daniel Jones' passing success came as a rookie before this season. That's the honest truth of the situation. He had a little bit of success against the Bengals last year for, for, for a bit, for a half, hitting Ingram on a couple of the same type of routes. But really, a lot of the concepts that he had success with as a rookie, we saw pop up again in this game against the Saints. Some half field reads, some you know, three-level reads, some flooded, some some uh, flood concepts just Different ways to get Daniel Jones more comfortable with the way he's throwing the football, but in addition to all of that, Nick, what has me most excited about this game, and I'm going to get your main takeaway before we dive into drive by drive, is Daniel Jones's progression, man, because. I thought he read the defense better than he has in a while. I thought his anticipation specifically, his anticipatory throwing was as good or not, if not better, than we've seen not only this season, but since Jason Garrett got here. The throw he made to we went over this thrust before this throw, uh sh- sorry, show, and we'll go over it again. But throw he made to Kenny Galladay on that deep dig, man. That Mark Schofield did a great job of breaking it down. I mean, that's a second window throw. Like he knows that he doesn't have the first window there. He throws that football into that second window before Galladay is. Is anywhere near that second window And then later in the game on the John Ross comeback That ball is out quick I mean John Ross is not even in his break by the time that that ball is out at Daniel Jones' hand. So the anticipation plays a big role, in my opinion, in what happened. The ball placement was there, the accuracy, and then, of course, the pass protection. It just felt like this passing game was clicking when we got to 21-10 and you watched the film from that point on. It just felt like, attack, 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 Giants. Spread it out, attack, because you can. You can attack right now be the passing game. And when you get to see football like that, I mean, I don't know if we'd had a – I'm trying to ask you, Nick. You can give me your main takeaway, but first answer this. Have we had a moment during the Daniel Jones era yet? Shermer or Garrett, where the passing game was clicking like it was from 2110 on just the passing game, just the, you know, we were that type of team. We were a bills. We were a chiefs where we were just firing passes and completing them over and over and over again for chunk gains. Like I can't remember a single game like that. No, neither can I. This was a breakout game
1: for Daniel Jones for a variety of reasons one being the anticipatory throws that you went over. There were plenty of those. I mean, he's done that in the past, but we saw it consistently in this game, in a hostile environment, in a, in a high-stress environment because it was a come-from-behind type of situation. And we also saw the coaching staff put a lot more on Daniel Jones's plate, which I love to see. That shows progression. That shows trust and respect in your quarterback. We talked about it a little bit, Dan, on the quick reaction show, there were a lot of plays where they were trusting Daniel Jones to read defenders in conflict, and then make a decisive decision based off of that defender's actions. We saw that with the zone read. We saw that with RPOs. We saw that with the one RPO with a little option action that we talked about on the reaction podcast as well. Now they didn't keep the ball. He handed the football off to Saquon Barkley, but you can see how decisive Daniel Jones is reading that defender as the defender steps up to fit the run, Jones just puts the ball right behind his ear hole to a slant Kenny Galladay or Kadarius Toney. And those are also plays that may seem easy to diagnose when you're watching it on the broadcast, but I assure you it is not simple and it definitely is not easy to do when bounds are coming down range, man. So I'm really impressed with, with Jones's ability to kind of handle all that on his plate and lead this comeback. I mean, we talk a lot, Dan, about that Denver game and. 2005 about Eli Manning. This game definitely had a lot of shades of that.
2: Yeah, it really did. It really felt a lot like that Eli Manning-Denver game. But, you know, a listener, I believe, somebody in my mentions, who I'm hoping is a listener of our show, made a great point. And he said, listen, yeah, it had shades of that Denver game. But at the same time, go back and look at that Denver game. Eli wasn't tossing the ball like Daniel Jones was in that Denver game before that final amazing drive that Eli led, like not to take anything away from Eli in that game. That was, I was at that game. It was the moment I knew Eli Manning was going to win a Super Bowl with the Giants. He had a, a spin out of a sack where he had to roll out to his opposite shoulder and rip a ball on a comeback at the sticks, broken play. I mean, he had so many great arm talent throws on that drive and so many great moments. But before that, they weren't moving the ball through the air the way Daniel Jones was from 21, 10 on. I mean, there was no answer for the Giants passing game. So before we dive into this thing drive by drive, I wanted to switch it up a little bit on this podcast, Nick, and try to get to some more key points and key takeaways from the game on individual players and individual concepts, personnel packages, groupings, things of that nature. As long as we, we can get to it, but we have to lay the foundation. The foundation is this. There are other areas in my mind that I think Daniel Jones improved in in this game, and I want to get your take on them. The first one is, so a lot less of Daniel Jones burping the baby. Now, is that because, and for those who don't know, we've gone over in the past, but burping the baby is where he kind of brings the ball from his right hand to his left hand, taps it, and then it kind of throws off his timing and rhythm of the throw, and oftentimes he's been late in situations where he's done that. Not always. Sometimes it's, it's you know, it's he's got plenty of time, he can do it, and he can get to the throw, and it's still placed well. But I felt like his ball placement in this game specifically was much improved, and it correlated, or at least coincided, Maybe it's not correlation, but it did coincide with less of him burping the baby. Do you think that has to do with the pass production and it has to do with him being having that being coached out of him? What are, you, what are your takeaway from that?
1: I think it has to do with the fact that receivers were getting some separation and there were better route concepts against a team that runs a lot of man coverage. Jason Garrett does a solid job scheming man beaters into his offense, and the Giants had success defeating man coverage because of a lot of the route concepts that were employed on Sunday. I think it has to do with all of those things. A lot of the times when Daniel Jones burps the proverbial baby, it's because there's no one open for him to throw the football to. And in this game, you had receivers winning at the line of scrimmage. You had routes built off of each other resulting in a pick or a rub or some sort of miscommunication because of the release, whether that be a switch release or just like the one Kenny Galladay, Kadarius Tony release where Kenny Galladay is the number I think it's the number three receiver in a three-by-one set. He releases vertically. Darius Toney goes underneath his route and then pivots back outside, and no one covers Kenny Galladay on a deep seven route with John Ross clearing the boundary out. So I think there was just a better overall scheme. I mean, you're still going to see quarterbacks burp the baby. You're still probably going to see Daniel Jones burp the baby every now and again. But in this game, it was – just a better overall effort from the receivers, from the pass protection, and from Jones himself being decisive and kind of trusting his eyes.
2: Yeah, I think you're spot on there. And I think one, another area we saw improvement with last week, we discussed it, was feeling the pressure, you know, feeling where that pressure. Now, a lot of that was from, Strong side last week. There were plays though in this game where I thought he did a good job feeling the pressure from the blind side. It wasn't often. There really wasn't. The only time it really happened, I think, it was one play when there was a free blitzer because you know. And we'll get to this, but when he was one on one on an island, man, Andrew Thomas basically didn't live, let up a single pressure, a single play that was of any significance. I know. I'm sure that's not the the full numbers on it from PFF but I can't remember a single play where he was beat cleanly. And there were a couple t- plays where there were free blitzers, and I felt like Jones did a good job of feeling that pressure. I feel like he's done a much better job in these last two weeks of feeling the pressure and getting you know, either rid of the ball or stepping up and running with it
1: say all season he's done a much better job at doing that we've pointed it out several times on the podcast man it's it's very encouraging because it shows an overall understanding of your own offense and what the defense is trying to throw at you and in this game man Dennis Allen he was throwing the kitchen sink at the Giants protection he was really trying to take advantage of Matt Skura and just the interior offensive line of the Giants man how many times did Dennis Allen throw just stunt after stunt and there was this one man where he looped cameron jordan from the end all the way to the opposite a gap holding matt scura in place with the mario davis who acted like he was gonna blitz and then just sat right in front of scura's face and that allowed cameron jordan to loop all the way around and there was no one there daniel jones ended up getting rid of the football and getting flushed a little bit on that specific play but Allen was really coming after daniel jones with those stunts with those ette type of twists and credit to jones credit to that protection man for holding up and and not allowing their quarterback to just absolutely get annihilated.
2: I think you nailed it there. I mean, you put it in your notes, and I wanted to go over that as well because, like you said, using a ton of creepers, showing heavy blitz looks, been dropping those guys, a lot of the middle field closed defense, man coverage, twists and suns, different games up front, that normally in a game like this, you go into the Superdome, raucous crowd back there for the first time. It's a defense that's been playing well all season defense. That's been playing well in new Orleans for more than a whole season. Like they were amazing last season. There's been a long stretch and you end the game with not really hearing Cam Jordan's name. One of the best defensive players in football much. And you end the game with, this isn't a disaster game for the giants offensive line. Like the passing game was able to get off in spite of the off, not in spite of the offensive line in large part, because of the offensive line, putting up some protection for them to get lanes, to throw the football through. And I mean, Who could have expected this with what they showed on defense? I mean, it was incredible. And I think credit due to this offensive line and this offensive line, coach Rob sale and the individual players. I mean, Andrew Thomas blossoming before our eyes into a franchise left tackle. Matt Skura playing an incredible game, given the circumstances. Billy Price, who, again, to me, like, we'll get to it, but I feel like, Nick, a lot of times he just looks off balance. Like, it's just so funny to me watching him on the on the uh, end zone angle because it just looks like he's never – I can't explain it. It just looks like he doesn't have a good center of gravity at any time. But so he gets the job done. He got the job done a little better this week. It seemed like he was more there mentally. I thought Will Hernandez, who, again, is not somebody I'm going to go – crazy over will uh, like uh, Will Hernandez. I'm not going to jump the gun and say, here it is. The breakouts finally happening. I think what we've talked about in the past is probably true. Nick, he's going to be an average player um, at least in his tenure with the giants is year four. But I thought he played one of his best games. Like I thought he was really good. He had the, he had the plays we went over on the giant on the, on the last show um, the giants and 10, where he, a really nice job pulling. I put a clip up on Twitter where he did it. Where he did a nice pull, one of their best rock blocked run plays. He got out on the screen, which was awesome. But I think he did a pretty good job in general, man to man, like in his one on one pass protection plays. And then, obviously, at right tackle, Soldier had a pretty solid game. He was helped a lot, but he had a pretty solid game. But it's just crazy to me, Nick, that you go into the dome against this locked in defense, a defense that's trying to run games, trying to take advantage of a left guard in there who hasn't played a lot, a, a center in there, Billy Price, who's really just new to the team. And yet, despite that, the Giants' pass protection held up for seemingly the entire second half. It's just, it's, it's crazy, man. I don't really know what what to make of it. Almost, it's something positive. That's what that's
1: what we make of it. And it's not like we said, man. It's not because Dennis Allen wasn't throwing a lot at Daniel Jones in this offense, because he was.
2: Go over something you bro- wrote down in the notes before we did that. There's been a lot of questions this week about. Why didn't the Giants run more zone read? Why weren't they, you know, leaning on that after they kind of found success within week two, didn't really use it much in week three. And then, you know, why weren't they using it in this game? And I think you did a great job of saying it. It's because the Saints player had a very disciplined run uh, defense that were playing their gaps and really disciplined when it came to their run responsibilities, right? That's exactly what it was. They were running the zone read. It's just Daniel Jones never kept it.
1: He handed the football off. Sure, sure. That's what I meant with that. Yep. Yeah, yeah. No, I know, I know you know that, but just I've seen people on Twitter being like, why aren't they using zone read? And it's like, they are.
0: It's
1: (laughs) just Daniel Jones is being smart and not trying to outrun the end man on the line of scrimmage who's unblocked, who's disciplined in his gap out there. You just hand the football off to Saquon Barkley. The, The objective of that play is to keep that. Backside pursuit defender, not utilize a blocker on him and keep him in place. And you hand the football off, and now that guy's not crashing down. So Saquon Barkley has to deal with one less player on the defense because he's held in place. And if that guy is overly aggressive, then Daniel Jones can keep it and run around him. And that's kind of the okay, well, you bit. Now I'm going to make you pay element to the play. But it was definitely ran several times in this game. And it's just the Saints were incredibly disciplined.
2: Here's the breakdown. A lot of 12 personnel from the Giants. They had 37 snaps with both, or I'm sorry, 44 snaps for Ingram, 37 for Rudolph, nine for Caden Smith. So ton of 12 personnel. I would hope that changes a little bit less over the rest of the game. I'd love to see a breakdown. I don't know if we have it. We probably don't have it in front of us. I'll try to look for it and put it on Twitter of the personnel after the Giants went down 21-10 and the personnel before the Giants went down 21-10, because... I'm not a big believer in they needed to go down 21-10 to play offense like they did after 21-10. I find that bogus. I find it bullshit. I don't believe in it. I think they could attack a lot more. I mean, there's a lot of good teams that are just attacking all game with the pass. I mean, the bills are a great example of this. They just attack all game with the pass. They don't wait. They don't wait to get down to pass the football. So early and often. So we'll have to see that. I, I know they sparked a couple big plays off it. Obviously the John Ross touchdown came off the 12 personnel, Sparked a few other big plays off of that, but Sparked a lot more big plays off the playing 11 and playing from empty sets as well. And they sparked a lot of more consistent, you know, 10 to 15 yard plays, 10 to 19 yard plays from those personnel groupings. So hope they spread it out. But just a little note there. All right. Let's get into this into these drives and take away stuff that's, you know, some of the stuff that stood out to you. Start with the first drive. What was one of the key takeaways for you in that drive?
1: First drive, man. I mean, you felt the energy in that building, man. It was really, really palpable. And the Saints defense, as we kind of just said, they were all over the Giants early on in the game. Play action pass that they tried to attempt, something like we've said several times on the podcast Jason Garrett loves to kind of go to. The Saints really had a lot of focus on Kenny Galladay to the backside. I think that was a third and six play. And then the ball ended up getting batted down at the line of scrimmage. The Saints, man, I mean, they they schemed a free rusher on Daniel Jones on that first drive as well. He had to kind of step to his left to avoid getting nailed. And I think the rusher ended up kind of slipping. They were they, they were buzzing, the, the Saints. They really were. And the Giants didn't necessarily make the best statement receiving the football and doing really absolutely nothing with it. But that wasn't a, a strong opening drive for this team. You can definitely feel the energy and the momentum. It was on the Saints' side. Luckily for the Giants, their offense is uh, very conservative, as we'll get into in the defensive podcast.
2: Yeah, and the, and the thing is this. like, There were moments on that drive, and there were moments in this game that I think when Daniel Jones and Jason Garrett and the offense get a chance to look back on the film, they'll see him, and they'll be like, okay, we can build off this. Because there was a play on that first drive where Evan Ingram's wide open over the middle. There's pressure from the blind side, an unaccounted guy. And Jones kind of does a good job to avoid the pressure. Again, something we thought he's approved, but doesn't see – Ingram coming over, and it's a big gain if he hits Ingram. It's a first down to about the 45 50. And there were, you know, we went over it. I put it on Twitter. There were a few plays Jones missed Tony on an in breaking route, another concept like this, very similar. But I think the key here is Garrett's doing a much better job of utilizing the middle of the field on these, not having them all break back toward the quarterback, you know, having them be break routes that break in mm-hmm. to the middle of the field and have chance to, you know, catch and run with. And you got guys like Tony out there, even Ingram to an extent, who has a great second gear if he can get in the ball in that spot and there'll be opportunities going forward. I think Jones will see that on film and I think go improve from that. Let's get to the second drive. Anything key takeaways from you on the second drive.
1: Yeah. The second drive first play was a zone read attempt as we just went over and Pete Warner followed the motioning Evan Ingram on that play. Cause the giants like to run that play where they bring usually Caden Smith. This time it was Evan Ingram to kind of lead block for Daniel Jones. If Daniel Jones were to keep the ball, Pete Warner followed Evan Ingram and then he kind of replaced the end man on the line of scrimmage. So Jones had to end up kind of handing the football off there. One or he just acted as a replacement for Cameron Jordan, who wanted to slant hard inside to constrict the B gap to kind of help take away the the inside run from Saquon Barkley. And as we said, man, Dennis Allen, he was was doing a lot against those Giants protections early and you saw that on the second drive as, as well, man. He ran a few ET stunts. The one on third down was excellent. I was about to break that down earlier in the podcast, uh, the nose tackle slants inside to the right, dragging the center, Billy Price in that direction. And that allowed Cam Jordan to loop to the A-gap that happened to be open because, as I said earlier, DeMario Davis just stood directly in front of Matt Scura. And scura had to respect DeMario Davis. But in doing so, he didn't even pay attention to Cameron Jordan, who was running unabated right at Daniel Jones, right in his area because of the scheme. That's a schemed up pressure right there. That's a well-designed pressure by by Dennis Allen and Jones got flushed out of the pocket, had to throw the football away and then end up punting little things like that, man. I mean, you draw the attention of a guard who's supposed to be picking up that looper, but you hold the linebacker there and kind of keep him spying on Daniel Jones while acting like he's going to blitz. That's just enough. That little, that little slight adjustment to the linebacker is just enough to allow schemed pressure to develop on the giants. And it's little nuances like that, that I love to see on film. Not when they're against the giants though, when, when Patrick Graham is doing them.
2: Yeah, right. So now we got two drives two, uh, you know, four and four play uh, drives of four and 14 yards. And then comes the 10 play 57 yard drive that ends in zero points. Now, this drive, we're going to get into it. I was very, very, very disappointed in the end of this drive from a coaching standpoint. So I want to first throw it to you and get any of your key takeaways here on what happened before they got down into that first and 10 from New Orleans 25 situation. Then we'll break down that that set of plays.
1: Yeah, man, you, you nailed it right there. It was just a disappointing to see the Giants end up going for a field goal, and then Graham Gano ends up missing it, like his first missed 38 attempts or something absolutely ridiculous. But this drive was just kept alive by Kadarius Toney. I mean, that ridiculous screen catch went for 18 yards. And then the dig earlier in the drive to Kenny Galladay was equally as impressive from Daniel Jones, who, as you said earlier, threw Galladay open with anticipation. As the linebacker was flowing laterally, Jones was patient, allowed Galladay to cross into that window and then hit Galladay in stride. A perfect throw from Daniel Jones in that situation, a big boy throw. And it also definitely seemed like the Giants were trying to run a tight end leak play to Kyle Rudolph on that third and one I mean, I really like that play call right there. I really do because it's a deceptive play call that typically catches defenses off guard when you keep the tight end on the play side where Daniel Jones is initially kind of rolling towards and you have him block for about, you know, a half second to a second occupy defender and then you leak underneath the linebackers, go to the opposite side of the field and then turn your shoulder to the inside and you're running basically between the numbers and the sideline. We've seen OJ Howard get hit on this play by the Buccaneers. It's a play you see in college sometimes. Really like that play call. Not necessarily in that situation if you're not going to go for two or if you're not going to go for it on fourth, but I do not love the personnel. I mean, that's that's a play that would be excellently designed for Evan Ingram. More predictable, but excellently designed for Evan Ingram. But you put Kyle Rudolph out there, man. I mean, it's, it's a very, very slow runner. And he's also somebody that I think was held. Like he's definitely getting held up there. It's going to take a while for Kyra Rudolph to get out, get out and into that route. So that's and I don't know
2: works. if you can even rely on that being called as a hold. You know what I mean? It's just like that in that spot. It's so hard to rely on on, on the refs there. Yeah, I like the play call. I'm with you. I think that's going to catch defenses off guard more times than not. I'm totally fine with the play call. The play call on this drive is nothing I didn't like. I mean, we talked about that big 27-yard shot by Jones to Gallay. That was an unreal play by Daniel Jones, unreal design by the Giants to get that deep dig open, but also play by Daniel Jones because he throws it into that second window. It's an anticipatory throw, and he rips the ball on a line, and it hits Galladay in stride. Like That's when you start to get the feeling like you can attack You can score. You can go for seven points. The objective of this game is to score touchdowns. The good teams win by scoring touchdowns. The good teams don't worry about field position. Brandon Staley literally just won a game last night or two nights, yeah, last night for the Chargers. Like going for twice on fourth down, keeping the ball, burning that both times it burned another three, four minutes off the clock. And they put points on the board that they wouldn't have put on otherwise. You have to be aggressive. You cannot win this game by settling for field goals. And so my problem here, Nick, is not with the play calling. It's not with that third and one play. But this this series, this this forced field goal, right, this third down miss into the field goal, starts with an eight-yard run by Barkley. A really nice design, uh, really nice blocked run. Then they run a pitch to Barkley, something they tried last week on that third down that killed them. And, you know, that was a big reason they lost that Atlanta game because they didn't get that first down and it forced them into a spot where they had to punt the ball back. And here you see it again. Run the pitch. Barkley doesn't make the cut inside that I wish he makes. Did you see that play on film, Nick? Did you think that that's a ball that uh, I mean, that's a play Barkley should just try to cut back and chew up five set five to seven there?
1: Yeah. You got to get vertical there. It wasn't a pitch though. That was just a handoff with two pullers to the outside. I believe.
2: Yeah. Sorry. It wasn't a pitch. It was, yeah. it was the double pull to the outside. Correct.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They had G lead with Will Hernandez and, and Billy price leading. And if Barkley kind of just cuts off the ass of Billy price, he's going to end up getting tackled eventually, but he's going to fall forward for at least three yards and probably end up picking up the first down. Cause it was a second and two, if I'm not mistaken. So, I think that's what he should do. He got greedy here. He tried to keep bouncing it outside, and I understand it. I mean, he had three blockers, and there were three defenders, but one of the blockers was Evan Ingram, and he was up against, I think, Cam Jordan. So that's not a matchup that he's going to win, and he didn't. (laughs) So I would like to see Saquon Barkley, and I'm not going to nail him for it. Get vertical on that, because there was a big hole for a split second there that Barkley just missed getting greedy, kicking everything horizontally.
2: Right, and if you're going to do run a play like that and miss it on second and two, if you're going to get to a second and two on the 17, after you just made such a momentum-flipping play with that Galladay 27-yard shot two plays ago. it's a momentum flipper. And then you come up with an obvious run, and it doesn't matter. You get eight yards. You're ahead of the sticks. You're second and two ahead of the sticks. You just can't go ahead and run that try, leak play to try to catch them off guard. And when you miss it and when it's not there, you can't kick a field goal there. You cannot be kicking on fourth and one from the sixteen over time and expecting to win. I'll never get behind it. I'm, I am I, hate the decision. I don't like what Joe Judge said after the game when he was like, ha, 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 see, we're never focused on results. It's about the process. It's not about the results, it's about the process. was almost as if he was like vindicated for his decision to punt late in the game and these types of decisions. There's no vindication for these decisions. There are big reasons they're not three and one right now versus or two and two and they're one and three. And that could ultimately mean the difference in them making the playoffs or not. So there's no vindication. It's the total opposite for me. And in this game's Specifically, they needed to get points on this drive. They had all the momentum. So if you're going to run that, you need to come back on the field on fourth and one and either run some type of zone read play. You need to either run the fullback dive with Elijah Penny that's worked all season, run the ball straight with Saquon Barkley. You can run a sneak. You can run another play action pass. You can run that play that they ran you know, for the past two weeks before this, where they kind of have just a quick rollout, be a PA boot with Jones, but it gives him that option to just run and quickly take the, uh, you know, quickly take the first down or throw back to that leaking tight end if he throws back or hit the receiver. Like there's three options for him there. and One of them is going to be good and he's going to get it almost every time. You just can't bog down and get conservative here and not trust yourself and not trust your team to convert this because almost every team can convert this. The Giants, the way their offense played in this game They can convert this play. You have to trust them, dude. You have to be looking for more points here. You cannot be looking for three here. So I hated this decision, and it didn't cost them this game, but – It could have, and it's cost them games in the past, not just this season, but last year with Joe Judge at the head coach. So, you know, that, that was a big, big no, no for me, but the Giants got lucky. They missed the field goal and then still stopped the Saints. Then they get the ball back and it's that one play drive, with the touchdown to John Ross, we went over this already on the Giants and 10. Do you want to hit anything on this again? Just love to see it, man. Love to see the acceleration, the ability to get vertical in such a
1: quick manner. I mean, the NFL is fast, man. Everybody has a lot of speed. They're you know some of the best athletes in the world, but John Ross is just different, man. He can accelerate and and go from nothing to like a third gear that other players just don't have. And you'd love to see the utilization of John Ross in this game. You'd love to see the fact that he lost his shoe in the end zone, ends up picking that up too. But I, I'm uh <laughs> I'm excited about John Ross's utilization, Dan. I really am.
2: I'm super excited about John Ross, man. I mean, like we said on the last show. It shows up so much on film. His level of speed is so different than Darius Slayton, so different than Sterling Shepard when he runs Verts, so different than Darius Tony when he runs Verts, so different than Kenny Galladay when he's running Verts. I mean, it's such a different level athlete. And even on the play late in the game where he sits back down on that on that st- stutter go, that he fakes the stutter go to make it really sell the vertical route to the corner and then sits on down and Jones throws that anticipation ball in overtime. That's a big time throw by Jones. But to trust Ross to make that play after not playing at all for the Giants, it's, that shows a lot too. Like it shows that they practice that and shows that they were on, on point in practice all week. And he makes the catch. He sits down on the route, creates the separation, secures the catch. Giants move the ball first down. Eventually they score on that drive for the game winning touchdown. But ultimately after the touchdown, the Giants give up another backbreaker, a 75 yard, 13 play eight and a half minute. They'd shoot up the whole half of the second quarter touchdown drive by the saints. Giants decide not to take timeouts at the end of that drive. We gone over that already. We both have different opinions on that, which is fine. I didn't love what they did there. Ultimately, it leads to the Hail Mary interception. That sucks. I don't want that on Jones' stats. We were into halftime, though. The Giants really didn't have much time there, despite, you know, hitting plays of 17 and 20 yards. But they only got the ball with 23 seconds at that point after the Saints chewed up the drive. So a little disappointed there, but we're not going to get into that. Next half, Saints go up 14-7 with a three-play 75-yard drive to start things off. It's not looking pretty. But the Giants then go on a seventy-yard drive, ten plays, seventy yards, and what happens, Nick? They come away with three points. This one, from second and goal, from sorry, from first and goal at the three, to fourth and goal at the five, field goal attempt. I just, I, I just, I just can't do it, Nick. I can't get on board with these decisions. I can't get on board on coaching like this. I would go for it there on fourth and goal in the five. I would have some faith. The only reason I can think not to is because they haven't been that great in the red zone as an offense. But, man, oh, man, when you if you want to play the game of I trust my defense and I trust my defense, then you should trust your defense to get a stop when the opposing offense that hasn't moved the ball all game really at this point with Jameis Winston at quarterback, an offensive line that's not playing like they played in 2020 or 2019, and a run game that's not really going to that point yet. And I mean, it had some moments, but it started to really go in the second half. You can trust them to make a stop when they're backed up in first and go uh, first and ten on their own five and to get the punt back right in field goal range with a kicker like Graham Gano. So I hate that argument. I will always hate that bullshit argument that you, you, know, you trust your defense, you trust your field position. No, no, no. Trust your defense, then you can take the risk of trying to get the seven points. And worst case, your defense is has them all the way backed up and can get maybe a safety, a sack in the end zone, uh, you know, pressure that leads to incompletion, force them to run up the middle for nothing and then get the punt right back. So no but let's talk about this drive because it was a great drive until they got into the red zone. So what were some key plays that stood out to you on this drive from the Giants?
1: It was a great drive, man. Daniel Jones was in a nice groove with Galladay. I mean, I like the uh, Jason Garrett play call the deep Yankee concept with Galladay clearing space for the horizontal deep cross to Kadarius Tony that went for 19 yards. That was to start the drive. There was also some nice switch releases at the line of scrimmage in three by one sets from the number three and the number two receiver, I think that was on a stick play to Galladay where Galladay kind of sat in the zone. It was the number two and the number three kind of released outside. Galladay released inside, sat in a throwing window, caught the ball, and it was a really nice little gain, moved the chains for the New York Giants. And I also like liked how New York, they just weren't afraid to attack Marshawn Lattimore, who was high load on that 20-yard play to Kyle Rudolph. We broke that down on the YouTube page as well. Saquon Barkley was in the flat. Kyle Rudolph kind of ran a fade route towards the sideline and Marshawn Lattimore just kind of tried to midpoint both routes, and Daniel Jones was able to attack him vertically there with Kyle Rudolph, Grandpa Kyle Rudolph. But like you said, the Giants end up getting bogged down when they get close to the goal line. Their lucky Lattimore, I'll say, did not come away with an interception on that third and five pass. He really baited Jones and allowed Kyle Rudolph to kind of look like he had a little bit of space, but once Jones threw that ball Lattimore just jumped right in front of him and almost came away with an interception that was That was one bad decision that Jones had in this game and I also just Dan, hate seeing the end around in that situation a second and two going horizontal against fast pursuit linebackers. Right. I mean that's not the strength of this Giants patchwork offensive line that played well in this game don't get me wrong but it's so difficult for them to transition at that part of the field off of combo blocks whether that be ace blocks or deuce blocks and then climb up to the second level on the one ace block with Scura and Price there's no way Skura Is going to be able to climb up to that second level and pick up DeMario Davis or Pete Warner, who were flowing so fast with Evan Ingram. They weren't fooled at all. So I really, really did not like the end around the Evan Ingram. I just think that's a net negative type of play in that uh, situation. It's not Evan Ingram's fault. It's just a, to me, just a bad play call by Jason Garrett.
2: Yeah, and it, it's it's a shame because to go 10 plays, 70 yards, chew up five minutes a clock and get three points out of it, you're not going to win many football games in my mind over time. Like, you can beat some teams. You're not going to beat the Chiefs and Bills of the world playing like that. Like You even saw it with the Eagles. I mean, the Eagles are such a good example, man. Last game uh, against the Chiefs, they were moving the ball the entire first half and for large points of the beginning of that second half uh Sirianni settled for I believe three or four field goals by the end of it they lost the game by 20 plus points like it you can't out you can't field goal off the Chiefs. like you're not going to win you're not going to win the big games by by kicking field goals and so it is what it is I said my piece but there's still so many good things to say about the drive before they got to the red zone where it's been their Achilles heel all year the red zone the red zone the red zone and go figure of course they convert the touchdown in overtime in the red zone with Incredible individual play by Barkley that we'll get to. But like you said, the deep Yankee concept, what I saw a lot more in this game, you start to see it on this drive, Nick, and really throughout the game, more stack releases from these receivers, you know, not just lining them up in the same way that they had been in uh, 2020 in these kind of, you know, mundane ways, you know, more stack releases, more bunch, different kinds of motion before and after the snap, Things of that nature that really do a better job of put, like you said, putting stress on the defense. And then, of course, like the deep Yankee concept, I mean, that's going to put stress on the safeties. Great throws by Jones on this drive to Galladay. Like you said, um, you know, really nice pass to Rudolph to get them into that range. And we went over that play actually before that one. He might have been able to hit. Uh it's John Ross for the touchdown before but it's okay they got into the red zone obviously they weren't able to convert in this situation but like you said don't run end arounds in the red zone you want to you want to run a push pass that gets quickly sorry to the boundary with a little bit of space to somebody like a Darius Toney or John Ross I'm all for that Give someone like that a push pass. We've seen the Chiefs use the push pass with a lot of success in the red zone. We've seen the Bills use the push pass, a lot of success in the red zone. You know what those two teams are not doing? They're not running end-arounds with Dawson Knox. And I know Evan Ingram is fast for a tight end, but like you said, when you just have him come right off the line of scrimmage without much space, it's just so hard to get there, especially when you have an offensive line that while they played a great game in pass protection – they're still not great at the point of attack in the run game. Just one play earlier before the giants ran this end around with Barkley, they tried to run Saquon Barkley off right guard and he got one yard and there was no push up front. And that's been the case all year. So again, it led to that third down where De- Jones kind of forced the pass should have been intercepted as worst throw of the game. So like context included Nick, I'm willing to accept that like you just don't have as much faith in your offense from this spot, from the goal spot. Unfortunately, But that's on you, man, because they have the talent now. They should be able to create points in the red zone in those tight spaces, whether that be with Jones, uh, you know, run pass options, whether that be different ways to get Jones a nice one on one with Kenny Galladay against a mismatched corner who's smaller than him. There are weapons for the red zone and there are ways to maximize this thing. But just bogging down and accepting your fate of three points every time is simply not going to cut it when it comes to what the real goal is winning big games and advancing in the playoffs of the Super bowl That's the goal eventually. So it's my piece on it, Nick. I know you're not too far off on that, but the next drive was actually a funny one. Cause they got the interception with Bradbury, just incredible ball by James Bradbury. We'll go over on the defensive podcast, but really good ball skills, really good job to high point it. But before that, they had a touchdown. So the Giants kind of got a little bit lucky there holding the gate at it, but it's not luck because if you, you, you saw the play on film and we'll go over it. Leonard Williams was hell. Like If he's not held there, Jameis Winston probably doesn't get off a clean ball there to Kenny Stills for the nullified touchdown. But next drive, Giants, five plays and punt. Anything to take away from that one?
1: Five plays and punt. Jones, and I'm not going to like ding Jones for this. I don't think it's a huge knock, but he missed Kenny Galladay on the third down play, who was open in the honey hole against that Saints cover two. Defense. They were playing zone and they rolled their apex defender to a deep half responsibility, similar to what we've seen Patrick Graham do early in the season with an inverted cover two. And then to the field side, Lattimore, he kind of passed Galladay to the safety, but there was so much distance between Lattimore and that safety and I get I get the attempt that Daniel Jones was trying to do he was trying to because I believe they only needed thir- uh two yards it was a third and two try to squeeze the football into Evan Ingram who was in between zone with a lot of defenders around him you want to kind of quickly get that get the ball out of your hands and get the ball to Evan Ingram there but if Jones was a little bit more patient he would have recognized that the safety was nowhere near Kenny Galladay and that could have been like a huge gain did you end up seeing that on that play
2: oh yeah for sure I put it up on Twitter I think that was you know it's tough to say. I think that he should over time. Like I think Jones on a really nice trajectory right now. At this point, both of us feel pretty confident that we're going to want to bring him back, at least as of now for next season, that could change, but Those are the things I think and I hope will improve over time. Like, there were three. It was that one. He missed that one. He's got to throw that into the honey hole. I'm not going to count the John Ross touchdown miss, even though it did lead to a field goal. So it did lose us four points because I think the play is designed to get the ball to Rudolph there. But there was the miss to Tony and the miss to uh, Ingram where they're really just breaking wide open over the middle. Uh, earlier in the game. And then there was this miss. So there's still some things he's not seeing. He's not at Tom Brady level yet. <laughs> That's okay. Like yeah, he's not yeah. supposed to be it's year three. He's not going to see everything on the field at all times, but agree. That was a, that was a potential for, for a nice, easy first down there.
1: And the Evan Ingram one too, he had a lot of pressure around him. Ball. Oh batted out of the air and he was trying to get it. It looked like he was trying to get it to Kadarius Toney, but Kadarius Toney and Evan Ingram both ran routes that were horizontally breaking over the field. So maybe he was trying to get it to Ingram. I don't think so though, just by the trajectory of the ball that came out of his hands before it was knocked out. But Dan, what did you think about the the tight end screen uh, on this drive as well? I mean, it went to Kyle Rudolph again, not a huge fan of it going to Kyle Rudolph, but if you're going to catch defense off guard, a tight end screen to Kyle Rudolph may be a way to do so. And uh, I actually like that play call, man. I really, really do. You get some blockers in space, get the football into hopefully Evan Ingram's hands next time they want to run this play. But I like these little tight end screens and these little just quick uh, high floor type of passes that can break for big gains. Not necessarily for Rudolph, but if you get it to Saquon Barkley or an Evan
2: Ingram. I'm so glad you brought that up because one of my favorite plays in the playbook is that tight end screen. I've seen teams run that with so much success. I think it's a great first down play. They do end up running it on first down in this specific Uh, instance to me it's so much better than a run almost a hundred percent of the time it almost always catches the defense somewhat off guard it has a chance for a big play but at worst it seems to always get like four to six which is basically what your floor like your ceiling almost is on run plays these days like for most offense Giants offense for sure it's not ceiling is six but like your average is definitely not six the Giants have a ton of these first when they used to run the ball a lot on first down they've done a much better job this year that's the biggest improvement Jason Garrett has made by far as a play caller running a lot less on first down, like incredibly less on first down. But when they used to do it a lot last season, there were a lot of one yard gains, a lot of two yards negatives, occasionally some zeros, some threes. This is just a nice way to use your passing game as an extension of the run game. I always talk about that, Nick, how if I was ever a coordinator, I'd use my passing game as an extension of the run game. I'd run a very similar offense to Brian Dable. To be honest, it wouldn't be much running of the football. There'd be just these types of plays as basically essentially working as my run game. Now, I'm with you. I'd rather run this play to Caden Smith. <laughs> I'd rather run this play to Evan Ingram. I don't want to run too many plays to Kyle Rudolph at this stage. I, we're, the, the Kyle Rudolph thing isn't looking good, let's just say, four games into his Giants career. like I think there's a chance he might even get, despite the dead cap or whatever it's going to be, he might get cut next, this offseason. If things don't improve, I think he's going to have to be. And he's not offering much out there, and he's just so, so slow in his routes. But yeah, overall love the play calling here. That was my favorite call for sure on this drive. So punted away. Saints then drive 11 plays, 63 yards touchdown. We can talk about this one on the, uh, all 22 defense film, but this ended with some really, really bad tackling by the Giants defense. This was like, you watch this drive both live and on film, Nick. And you can tell me if you think differently, how I felt was this game's over. Like, they're physically beating the Giants up. There's now what? what? What did that leave on the clock after that? That that drive started at the beginning of the, of the fourth quarter and took up what? How many yards? Or no, no. It went into the fourth, bled into the fourth quarter, and then chewed up another three minutes. So the Giants finally got the ball back at that point, down 11, with just 12 minutes left in the game after that. That felt like a punch-you-in-the-mouth drive ending with that touchdown run. And then... Giants get the ball back and they punt again. They go and they get bogged down into a third and nine after a really nice start with Kadarius Tony with that 21 yard, uh, you know, quick release catches the slant does the rest after that. I mean, listen, we can talk about that, Nick, but that play is unbelievable. Like that's a RPO that goes to Tony. Most receivers, the Giants have run that with that's been stopped right at the catch point for a gain of seven. Tony creates another 14 after the catch here. That's some awesome stuff
1: amazing stuff his release off the line of scrimmage too you know he shows a hard outside jab foot gets his shoulders and his hips turned inside and he gets leverage on 29 daniel jones like you said rpo he's tasked to read pete warner who was the the player in conflict right there. Pete Warner goes to execute his run fit. Daniel Jones puts the ball right past him. And then usually, like you said, Kadarius Tony gets tackled right here by the safety coming downhill. But man, guys like Gumby, dude, he just plants that (laughs) outside foot in the ground and just ends up getting horizontally. He doesn't even go vertical. He goes horizontal across the defense, ends up outrunning two guys, stiff arming another guy, and then Kind of getting tripped up, but recollecting his balance and then picking up like an extra five yards and then getting past the 50 yard line before getting tackled. I mean, the guy is just insane in these types of situations. He's like a pinball out there. He's so hard to bring down. So exciting. And I liked how Jason Garrett was able to implement Tony on this drive with the RPO, get him involved in the RPO, because a lot of these RPO plays, it's been... It's been a lot of Sterling Shepard when he was healthy. It was a lot of Kenny Galladay just using his big body to kind of win inside leverage and then just kind of shield the shield himself from the defender to allow Daniel Jones to have an easier throw, but get Kadarius Tony involved. And he did. And I, and you freaking love to see that.
2: Yeah, you nailed it. And it's so funny because he makes the initial release where he puts the D back in the blender, creates a separation. And then, like you said, he has that second plan to create the yak. And it's just so wild to see two, Plant and goes on that drive, two re- stop and restarts, like from one player <laughs> to create separation first in his route and get the catch, get the, you know, secure the RPO for what would be a first down if he had caught that just at that point and stopped. And then after that, because it was second and five at the time, then after that, he creates another 14 by planning. And like you said, like, it's not like one of those plants where he plants horizontally and quickly gets vertical and beats the defender that way. He somehow creates separation with a horizontal, just like cutting and planting and going horizontally. That's just wild to think about in my mind, Nick. Like, no, he's not John Ross from a speed standpoint, like a straight line speed point standpoint. But what he offers is something no one on this roster has. The closest person to me that has something like that is Sterling Shepard. But he's nowhere near that level of unique trait like. His ability to stop and start, man, it's out of control.
1: It's up there with Tyreek Hill. He's not as fast as Tyreek Hill. Right. But his ability to change direction is yes. just to me, just off the eye test, is just as good as Tyreek Hill. It's just I think that's a good. fair
2: statement. I don't think that's hyperbole by you. I, I you you qualified that perfectly. Yeah, he doesn't have he doesn't have the ability to stretch the defense like Tyreek Hill does vertically, and that's like you know that's why Tyreek Hill is Tyreek Hill. He's like like John Ross vertical speed with Kadarius Tony type ridiculous change of direction and stop and start. Like it's why he's probably the best receiver in the NFL right now. It's not the second best, and but man. Just having one of those amazing traits can give you so much hope as a Giants fan and can give you so much, so many options as an offense and as an offensive coordinator and for the quarterback. Like Giants right now have two really unique guys. I had two really unique guys on the field this entire game, or not this entire game for a lot of snaps and Tony and Ross. Ross ended up playing 28, Tony 46. So you Saquon Barkley. So so you could
1: say, say three with Saquon Barkley as sure. well.
2: Right. Of course, for for certain. I talked
1: a little bit about. Tony's implementation on this drive, but we got to see the the thing we've been talking about since the Giants drafted Kadarius Tony, which was that passing attempt, man. I love the fact that Tony oh, yeah. didn't end up throwing that football. On that play. That just shows that he's not greedy. He knows what the objective of the play is. If the safeties rolled and covered those deep routes, he wasn't going to throw the football. And he didn't throw the football. He ends up just picking up one yard, juking around a bunch of defenders. I think that's a very savvy and smart play from Kadarius Tony. And then on the very next play, Jason Garrett runs an RPO. The Reap defender ends up blitzing. He ends up acting as a creeper because initially it's a three by one set the three receivers to the field and you have Kadarius Tony as the number three. I love putting Kadarius Tony as a number three, break him over the middle of the field. But Malcolm Jenkins ends up being a creeper coming on the blitz. Demario Davis drops off from the far side into a shallow zone. Daniel Jones reads that so quickly, man, because when you go into the RPO, you got to flash your eyes to that read defender, which is Malcolm Jenkins right there. And he flashes his eyes up there. And you could see as he goes into the mesh point, which is where you stick the ball into the belly of Saquon Barkley. He quickly pulls it out because he sees that Malcolm Jenkins is coming. He quickly pulls it out. He, has, he knows he's not going to hand the football off there, and he knows Kadarius Tony's going to be open, and he puts it right on Kadarius Tony. but sadly, Tony couldn't hang on to the football. But if Tony catches that dude, tony I mean, he doesn't have Tyreek Hill speed, but he's fast. He could possibly yes. split 29 and, and that safety and make them miss, and it could end up going for six. It probably wouldn't have, but there's a chance it would have. If Kadarius Tony secured that pass and the ball wasn't perfect from Daniel Jones, but it was definitely catchable.
2: Yep. A hundred percent agree. And now we'll get to the decision to punt because I think at the time I wasn't thrilled with it just because it felt like a punch in the mouth. And that was almost it. Like at that point, you know, there's under, there's nine thirty left in the game. You're down 11. You're down two scores at that point with nine thirty left two scores. In, and that would even require a two point conversion, touchdown and field goal. So three separate events. Having said that, looking back, like it was the right decision in this circumstance. And also I'm always more fine with punting when you're on your own side of your, or I'm sorry, when you're just like, they were at the saints 47 at the time. They weren't in scoring position yet. A, and it was eight, eight yards or more when it's five yards or less. That's when I'll beat you up as a coach. When it's eight, when it's five or when it's six or more, I'm not going to always beat you up. I didn't love the timing of it down 11, but it ultimately works out because the giants force a three and out with the saints, get the ball back. And then there's one play. 54 yard pass to Saquon Barkley for the touchdown. We went over this already on the Giants in 10. So check again, check out the YouTube page where you can find the breakdown of this play, but anything you wanted to add that we missed last night?
1: Uh, Not necessarily that we missed last night. I just love the connection between Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley here to take advantage of one of the top man coverage cornerbacks and Marshawn Lattimore. But I second what you just said, Dan, everyone go check out the YouTube page, big blue banter on YouTube. And Dan and I do do a fine job breaking down the play. I'll say
2: for sure. And on that note by the way since we forgot we're going to get killed for this let's take a quick break to your word from our sponsor
1: giants football is finally back and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find new york giants tickets anymore because tick pick that's t-i-c-k p-i-c-k is the original no fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as your go-to for all nfl tickets TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that the other sites charge, which lets them guarantee the best prices on all their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. That's right. You guys ever want to just go and see Saquon Barkley hit a 60-yard run? You know I do. Daniel Jones, Fine Sterling Shepard, Kenny Galladay, Darius Slayton, Deep. Well, if you guys want to see that live, please go and visit TickPick.com. and use the promo code BANTER. That's TickPick.com slash BANTER. To use that today, you can save $10 on your first order of the Giants tickets that you desire. Please check that out. It's TickPick.com slash BANTER.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all
2: All right, so now it's 21-16 Saints, but there's only 6.52 left in the game. So obviously in this situation, you got to go for a two-point conversion. It's another design run for Jones, but such a fun, funny play to watch on the All-22 because Soldier just gets destroyed on this play and basically driven right into Jones's lap almost like by the time he gets the snap, but almost kind of helps create some weird lane that might have not been there otherwise if Soldier had held up his block for Jones to just like kind of, Salts on, waltz on through for a touchdown. So break down this two point conversion play and what actually happened here because it's key, man. The Giants missed this play. Game over, and not game over because they had a chance, but they would have to get, had to get really aggressive instead of conservative on that final field goal drive. This is a great play by Jones.
1: It, it's not a designed run though. This is supposed to be a pass to Evan Ingram in the flat. The Giants come out with Kadarius Tony to the boundary. Two receivers kind of split out wide to the uh, field side. And then Saquon Barkley is to the boundary side of Daniel Jones. And he goes into an RPO here. He goes into the mesh point with Saquon Barkley. He's reading the defenders and seeing how they're covering Kadarius Toney and Evan Ingram. But Evan Ingram kind of gets jammed off the line of scrimmage by Cameron Jordan a little bit. And then he stumbles. And Kadarius Toney is sitting there, but the coverage is right there. There's a defensive back right on the top of Evan Ingram. And there's nothing for Daniel Jones to do. So Daniel Jones just kind of looks around, scans the defense, then shoots his eyes towards his offensive line and sees a hole opening up because Nate Solder is basically right in his lap. So he just kind of jukes around Nate Solder and just takes it in, but that's not a designed run there. I don't believe that's a, that's an RPO that was covered really well by the saints and Jones just extemporizing two points here.
2: Yep. Great job on the RPO there. Daniel Jones getting the two points. Saints get the ball back here. Time is running out and they take up four minutes of the drive, but ultimately end up, Having to punt, we'll go over that one because it was a key stop by the Giants on the defensive podcast. Giants get the ball back, lead a field goal drive here. Go over some key plays on this drive. Obviously, the twenty-eight yard pass to Galladay is what set up on a third and seven. By the way, is from their own thirty-eight. Like that's a key play in the game, let alone the drive. Set this whole thing up. It was a nice pass to Kadarius Tony on this drive as well. Nice little play there, but ultimately they bogged down once they get to the New Orleans thirty-four. So. What is your thoughts on this drive?
1: They bogged down, but they also kind of bogged down on purpose and just settle for the fact that they're going to overtime here. Let's kick the field goal, get to overtime. Don't make a mistake that's going to knock us out of field goal range. We trust our kicker despite the fact that he missed the 35-yard field goal. Earlier, he's Graham Gano. But the biggest takeaway you already hit on is that third and seven play. If, if Jones well, Let me back connect- you up
2: there real quick, Nick, because I am curious to get your take on this before we break down plays. I saw the Chargers in a very similar situation last night from a time standpoint, not the same situation from a game standpoint. It was the end of the first half. I think the Chargers had even less time when they got to when they advanced the ball to this area of the field. They kept attacking. They ended up scoring a touchdown. In your mind, you think it's smart to do what the Giants did here uh, with 48 seconds left to kind of just not give up, but uh, settle for the field goal and, and try not to avoid and try to avoid a negative play. I wouldn't say they gave up at
1: all. They actually almost hit huge with a with a boundary wheel to Saquon Barkley that Daniel Jones just misconnected on. He kind of led Saquon Barkley a little bit far, but if he hits Barkley in stride here, you have two defenders kind of closing down, so it might not have went for much, but that was a good play design. It was an aggressive play design. I love how they used Colin Johnson to kind of set the pick on Demario Davis, setting Saquon Barkley up for success, but they just couldn't connect on this play. So I'm not going to say they gave up, necessarily, but no, not
2: gave up. But I'm going to say what you just said before I, I jumped in that they kind of uh bogged down. Was that the word you used?
1: Yeah, they, they bogged down a little bit. And I do believe they were being maybe a little bit more conservative because they had all the momentum at this point. So they're like, let's ride this momentum into overtime. I mean, I would like some deep shots, but I, at the same time, I understand a conservative approach here. You just scored what at this point, the score is 21 to 18. So you've scored eight points straight. You have all the momentum on your side. And yes, the Giants got lucky because they were able to win that coin toss that ended up setting up another offensive drive that they punched into the end zone. But the Saints offense hasn't done anything in quite a while. So I'm not against what Joe Judge did here, even though it is a little bit conservative. And I don't believe that they were just playing for the field goal, but that's what how it ended up happening. And I'm fine with them kind of being a little bit more conservative and ensuring they were in good field goal range for for Graham to, which is what they did on that, uh, what was it, a third and ten run where they just gave the ball to Barkley for four yards. I'm fine with that play call there.
2: Yeah, I think I am actually too. Normally, you know, I'm never down for the conservative style, but when you get the third and ten there, at that point, you can you can safely say it's time to kick the field goal. And they did try to complete something decent on first down. It wasn't like they just said, "Let's end this thing." You know, it wasn't like they ran the ball twice or I'm sorry, three times then kicked that field goal. So. I I I'm with you on this. I think this is one of the few times I'm in on the conservatism. So then break down some of the plays, I guess that stood out to you on this drive.
1: I mean, that third and seven was, was a huge play by Jones and a a great play by Kenny Galladay to release off the line of scrimmage has a little bit of a hop, skip release, kind of delays himself, stays square, getting the cornerback on his heels. And then he just turns his shoulders towards the inside, catches his football in strides, runs through one tackle attempt, and then just bulls over the safety and keeps running. That's a huge play. And this was the play, Dan, where I was like, oh, Giants are winning this football game. The Giants can't (laughs) lose this football game at this point. This is the play that kind of flipped me. I mean, I I had senses that the Giants were putting themselves into position to possibly win this football game. But then I was like, oh, bro, the Giants always break my heart, dude. They're not. And then after this play, I was like, oh, bro, here it is. Here it is right here. So- uh, it was definitely one that I I love to see, and that was one of the biggest plays of the game. That what was it a twenty eight yard catch and run by Kenny Galladay, earning all seventy two million dollars of that contract.
2: Yeah, I mean that was such a sick play by him to break off that tackle and turn that into it's, it's just a man play. I mean he is a man. He's a he's a big
1: dude. And, and another reason, just to touch on the conservative uh, nature, that I think the Giants maybe were a little bit more conservative and hesitant was because the play before they handed the football off to Saquon Barkley on on the second and 10, Daniel Jones got freaking elated on that play. So I think they really were just like, okay, let's just get this to overtime. And that was, again, off of Cameron Jordan being a looper into the A-gap. Matt Skura was following, I think, a little bit too long. This is probably on Matt Skura here. Because the play that we broke down earlier, DeMario Davis stood right in front of him. You have to respect DeMario Davis there. But in this play, DeMario Davis kind of flows with Saquon Barkley and leaves. And Matt Skura doesn't pick up the stunt coming. And this is like the like I don't even know, at least the sixth or seventh time we've seen the same exact stunt. So Skurr mm-hmm. probably should have been a little bit more aware in that situation and almost got his quarterback killed because Jones doesn't even have his eyes on 94 here. Jones is eyeing the route concepts, just gets rid of it and gets hit. And that's the one where a lot of people thought it might have been a fumble, but his arm was going forward.
2: Yep. All right, so we get to overtime. Giants get the ball first, thank God, because who knows what <laughs> if they didn't. Let's finally catch a break with regards to that. And just an incredible drive here. I mean, they get the ball at their own 25. Takes them nine plays to score seven points. They don't, there's no settle for a field goal bull crap here. It's a touchdown drive, nine plays. Some really freaking awesome plays in this, man. I mean, like the, the pass to Kenny Galladay to get them down to the six. Such a great route. Gave them such a clean release. And Jones, like watching that on film, Jones had to get that ball up and over the top because there was a defender in his lane there. And like he could, that ball could have easily been tipped if Jones puts a different trajectory on that pass. I thought that was one of Jones's low key best passes of the game. He also hit John Ross on a key play on this where he had trust in Ross. There was a pass to Barkley, I believe it was the screen pass, correct? Where they yeah. just chewed up yards there, caught the Saints completely by surprise on that one. And so, Ultimately, just a really well-designed drive, a really well-executed drive by the entire offense. Just looked so good, man. It looked like this offense has top 10 upside on that drive. It really looked like that.
1: Yeah, and the Saints Saints ran a lot of quarters when they weren't in man coverage. I mean, they're a man-predominant team, but they were running quarters on the John Ross play, which was the first play in overtime. And that John Ross play was amazing. I mean, it's a far hash throw for Daniel Jones, but the route that John Ross ran, and I think you broke this down on Twitter, releases off the line of scrimmage, gives the cornerback a little bit of a stutter and then explodes back vertically. And then he decelerates by sinking his hips and running a comeback route towards the sideline. And Jones throws this ball with anticipation right before Ross kind of gets in and out of his break. And Ross, man, he just kind of puts this corner and spin cycle right here. He catches the football, falls backwards for about a yard. That was a beautiful Played by John Ross. And I know John Ross. He, I think he came out and he said, he's, I'm not a one trick pony. I'm not just like a speedy receiver plays like this really indicate that he's not because this is a very nuanced route from John Ross.
2: Yeah, for sure. And I don't want to tip it off too much because that's going to be my route run of the game. <laughs> so I'll go over my thoughts on that there. And I did put it on Twitter, but completely agree with everything you said there. All right. Anything else you want to touch on before we give out awards for this game?
1: Yeah, Kyle Rudolph. Thank you for falling <laughs> on that fumble because oh that God. was egregious on the all 22, bro. It
2: sucked. It, it oh, really did. There was space there too. That was a wild play. Thank God he fell on that. Superlatives and give out awards. We'll talk about the offensive line as well and go for individual players there. You obviously have to hit on that. Let's start with the unheralded player of the game on offense. Give me your pick and then I'll go into mine.
1: So the unheralded player for me is, I think it was the same person I said last week, and it's Andrew Thomas. Typically, if you're a offensive lineman and your name isn't called at all, that's a really good thing. And that's kind of what Andrew Thomas has been this entire season. It's been night and day how much better he looks on the All-22 film from what we saw last season, even at the end of the year last year. I mean, he he was good at the end of the year last year, no doubt, but he still had some bad mishaps. I think I only remember like one or two kind of bad plays in pass protection in this game, but he was able to recover enough and nothing bad Ended up kind of materializing because of the mistakes, but technically, from a te- technique wise, from a from a footwork wise, from his hand usage, from how he how he can re sync his hips and and stay square to his target and, and kind of really trust his anchor and and not open his hips and commit his hips early against speed rushers. I mean, it's it's great to see, man. you love to see it because everybody was so hard on Andrew Thomas. And, you know, there, there are reasons why a lot of people were. I think a lot of them have merit. But this season, through four games, he's looked very impressive.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, listen, the improvement he's made, I'm so happy you brought it up, Nick, because there was a lot of ballyhoo about his second half performance last year. It was good, but I think a lot of the reason why he was getting a lot of praise was just in relation and in context to what he put on film the first half of the season where he was legitimately one of the three worst tackles in the NFL the first half. But I think it's not only night and day from that, it's night and day from that second half of last year. I mean, right now he's performing at an incredibly high level. Like, like you just said, there's maybe one or two bad snaps, and that's been consistent all season for the most part. This was his best game, but it's been consistent for the most part all year. And, What makes this so impressive to me is that they're leaving him on an island constantly. Like they constantly help Solder over there. You look at the film, see all these plays where soldiers getting help. That's not the same for Thomas. Like they're saying, listen, buddy, you're on an island. You're dealing with your 73rd combination of left guard that you've played with. (laughs) It's coming into the NFL at this point. Like you've played with what six different guards there. Will Hernandez, Shane Lemieux, Matt Scura, Ben Bradson. He's played with four different guards right now. I mean, and doesn't matter, no matter what the circumstances are. You don't have gates anymore. You have a new center in there. You're on your island and you're on your own. And everything that was troubling him last year is no longer there. All the flashes of what could have made him an elite prospect drafted at number four overall are starting to show up consistently, game after game, snap after snap. Run game as well. He's not, obviously, it hasn't been as dominant in the run game as the past game, but the run game's there as well. I'm seeing flashes. That's going to get better and better as well. This is a case where, listen, we called in the offseason, Nick. We said he's their best prospect. It's based on age. It's based on importance of position. When you have a left tackle playing this well, your offense starts to ascend. Left tackle is one of the most important positions for an offensive success in the entire league. I would actually argue right tackle and left tackle are. And now the Giants are doing a good job of scheming that to make that not so. But we saw it last game when the Giants didn't always scheme it well. <laughs> Nate, Solder, you know, against Atlanta, Nate Solder gave up a lot of big plays. This game, when they kind of gave him the help, it didn't look as bad for Nate Solder. But when you don't even have to give that guy help, when you don't have to scheme it, you can just say, listen, you're Andrew Thomas. You're on an island. You're on your own. Good luck. And he does everything he's supposed to and more. Like there were plays where it just looked like the defense man had no chance. It was done. He wasn't even close to getting to the quarterback. Despite having a one-on-one. And despite, you know, Jones at times sitting back there for a decent amount of time before throwing the football, waiting for these deep digs, you know, waiting for the deep Yankee concept that you talk about, there's some plays where he had to take some time back there to release the football. And, you know, Thomas gave him that, that time. And so unheralded player, maybe he's going to go down. I mean, I don't want to tip it off, but he's going down as my best player in this game. I thought he was the best player in this game on offense for the Giants by unheralded player though, Nick, it's going to be Matt Scaro because man, he comes in everyone I mean everyone in their mom was worried about this start like you thought like oh my god it might get worse than Ben Bredesen it might get worse than Jane Lemieux this guy we're just tossing him in there to play left guard the center to play left guard and man oh man like he looked better than anything I've seen from the Giants at left guard this entire season I don't think it was perfect I think there were some reps where he did get beat I don't think he's like Maybe like the future left guard for the Giants, but I think he could be the future swing interior guy for this team if he continues to play like he does. Cause I think it's only going to get better now. Like this is his first game. The communication is going to get better. You saw he was still at some communication issues with the center. That's going to improve. That could have been because obviously because of the, you know, they're using hard counts in the dome. But I really liked what I saw from him versus what I've seen from everything else they've tried to trot out there at left guard so far this season. What were your thoughts there? I
1: agree. I do. I, I definitely don't think it was perfect. I definitely saw some reps where he was getting beaten pass protection, but he's against a really, really talented front. My expectations of Matt Skura were pretty low and he exceeded my expectations. And this isn't somebody who's like 32, 33 years old. Eight-year-old, so he's he still could be considered in his prime. I'm pretty sure he's dealt with some significant injuries in his career. Uh, I want to say in 2019 he had a knee injury, if I'm not mistaken. He's bounced around. He was cut by the Dolphins earlier this year. Was on the Ravens for a little bit. I was impressed, man. I, I was overall for especially his fight in the trenches, man. Because there were times where some of these big stout defenders that the saints have would try to run through him and try to like bully him. And his anchor was really, really good. His ability to readjust his hands and kind of bring the fight right back to the defensive lineman and not be passive, I guess was something that jumped out to me on film. And I actually might do a write up of him for a uh, big blue view. I'm not a hundred percent certain if I'm going to end up doing that, but if I do, please head on over there and check that out because from everything I saw from him, I was definitely impressed.
2: Yeah, me too, man. I'm really excited that, they might have it. I'll be honest, <laughs> it sucks that they had maybe had to give up a fourth rounder to get Bredesen, who might not be an answer. But if it comes down to like, and this could be a reason why you don't make those trades in the future or why you might want to be a little hesitant as a team to make those types of deals where you're like kind of panicking just for the season because you might be able to find a Matt Skura type who's as good, if not better, and costs you nothing. But if the end goal is they have something, some sense of stability at left guard where they're just not had like, you saw some of those reps, man, from Bredesen over these last two weeks. They they were ugly stuff. They were drive killers. I mean, they, they he killed the red zone drive against Atlanta, which ultimately could in some ways be described as, like, the reason the Giants lost that game or one of the big reasons. So as long as you're just getting to the level of not killing them, like, like what what was that great offensive? Who was the great coach who said, these days in the NFL, it's more important to have uh, – a better weak link on your offense. Like have your worst player on your offensive line, not be that bad than have uh, like stars on the offensive line. And I think that's so true. Like, I think that's one of the truest statements because besides Thomas, like no one, there's no potential stars right now on the Giants' offensive line, but yet, yet they put together a game against a really tough saints front where they looked really good in pass pro for the whole game. Even when they had to pin that, even when the opposing defense was pinning their ears back and they knew they were going to pass the ball, the giants and they still held up. And so, they didn't really have that much of a weak link. Like, yeah, he had some bad snaps, Skira. Price still to me, looks like he's off just weird center of gravity off balance at times, but he and he had some okay bad reps, but not, nothing too crazy. Soldier with the help didn't look too bad. And just overall, there wasn't really that massive weak link this week for the Giants on the offensive line. I thought that was really big help for them in this win. And,
1: and, and Scura signed one month and a day before starting this game. So he hasn't been in the Giants building that much. He wasn't in training camp, and he went up against a defense that brings pretty elaborate stunts and twists, and he held his own pretty well. Now it wasn't perfect, like I said, but it was pretty darn good. And that that's that's impressive. I mean, he definitely deserves a strong
2: tip of the cap. Yeah, without a doubt, for sure. Let's get to the best route run of the game. Give me yours first, and then I'll give you mine. What's interesting about this is it's the same player, and it's not who you're going to – it's like not a player anyone would expect we'd be talking about as having the best route, me and Nick, and having two different routes in week four of the 2021 season. So give me yours. Mine was a release, and I'm trying to find the time right now, but it was a John release
1: where he, where he released the side and opened the hip cornerback – and once the cornerback committed to the outside, he kind of used his hands to swat the inside arm of the cornerback and then jolted right back inside and presented a target for Daniel Jones. And that release is just, especially from a player like John Ross, could be very, very dangerous. Because if you give John Ross a second, a millisecond, of an advantage against a cornerback and kind of manipulate the cornerback's technique. That's all he needs to create the separation and just turn what could be a normal six yard gain into a touchdown. So I really like that. And I just went with that because you ended up kind of claiming the player about to break down. <laughs> yeah.
2: So we went over it a little earlier. It's the overtime comeback curl to uh, John Ross, this, this route, man. I mean, you watch this route and you're like, this is why the Bengals took this guy in the top 10. Like, this is the why they thought this wasn't just a one-trick pony guy who ran a four two two at the combine and they're like, oh my God. It's because he can do this, because he can break down and create this kind of separation. And like you said, dip, you know, bend dip into those hips. Convert into that curl, like he's first of all the best part about this route isn't even what isn't even him breaking down and creating separation at the top of the route. You know after selling the vert, it's early when he sells the vertical so well by doing that little stutter go. When you, when the D back sees him do that little stop and go, it's almost like light goes off and D back's head. This is a vertical route. Get moving. Get going. Start to move backwards. Like he just basically walked forward with a sign on his head when he did that stutter and go and said, "This is a stop and go type vert route." And yet still. He has has the ability to then break into that vertical at full speed and then break down and flip his hips to get around for that curl. Obviously, the anticipation throw by Jones is excellent. The location of the ball by Jones is excellent. But great job by John Ross to run this route. It was so fun to watch.
1: Absolutely. The play that I was referring to was in overtime with 8:56 left. It was a second and eight Ross extended Paul, Paulson Adebo outside and then just broke inside. It was a beautiful release off the line of scrimmage to create space against the rookie who the giants were targeting a lot when they needed oh, a yeah. the first down. and Paulson Adebo. I mean, he'll be fine. He's a good man coverage type of player, but I like the fact that Jason Garrett circled him and said, we're, we'll attack him too. We're going to attack Marshawn Lattimore. We won't shy away from that, especially if Lattimore wants to try to get aggressive. We can try to bait him into a mistake, which happened in this game as we, have been over, but Adebo was also somebody that they attacked. And that, that release from Ross was, was impressive as was the, the route you broke down, man, which I mean, come on, we we weren't even expecting much from John Ross this year. We really weren't. And he ends up on the IR to start the season. We're like, Oh geez, you know, just a one year signings, probably not going to be anything. You know, we're never going to see him out there. And he was a
2: crucial part of this victory without a doubt. All right. Best throw of the game,
1: best throw of the game. I'm going to go with the John Ross touchdown. It was put right in between two defenders who were converging on John Ross, who had space because of his excellent speed. So that's where I think I'm going to go. Daniel Jones steps up into the pocket and just fires an absolute dart on a line, a Ross. And it was a, a beautiful play by both of them.
2: That is easily the best throw of the game, but there was another one to pick. I'm going to go with the second window throw by Daniel Jones to Kenny Gale on that deep dig. I, Could break it down now. And we talked about a little earlier. I would actually suggest, uh, you know, throwing our, not our colleague, but our friend of the show, big time friend of the show, uh, award winning guest, Mark Schofield, (laughs) a listen or a follow and check out his video breakdown of that play on Twitter because that's the type of next level stuff I want to see from Jones from a processing standpoint. When he can see that play the way he saw that post snap, you know, just breaking that down and seeing, look, I don't have the, Galladay's open right now on this dig. He already made his break. He's already out of his break at that point. I can't throw into that first window. If I throw into that first window, the defender is going to jump that, potentially pick it at worst, tip it, never going to be completed. I need to throw this ball into the second window. And so he releases that ball with full faith that Galladay is going to get to that point because he's already in his break on that deep dig. And he knows that he can get that ball. If he throws it to that spot, he doesn't have to worry about that second level defender from jumping it to pick or the incomplete. And that's just like next level processing stuff from Jones that when I start to see that stuff on film, if that stuff can come consistently and I start to see maybe three to five plays of that per game. Now I know he's really starting to take the next jump from a mental processing standpoint and the physical tools are all there with Daniel Jones. We see it. But if he can take the next, if the mental processing to the next level, that's when we start to talk about him as one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. I know it's crazy to say, and I'm not going there yet. And I'm not taking that leap yet because again, they were missed He missed three open receivers in this game. There are times he's still locked into receivers and you could see sometimes where, you know, he, right after the snap, he moves his helmet to the side where he eventually throws. And he kind of is looking in that direction for th- two to four seconds before making the throw this time. It worked a lot, like on the Rudolph play to set them up for that first and goal for red zone where they had to disgustingly settle for a field goal. He was staring down Rudolph the entire time. Now the play was so well designed with, you know, middle of field safety being taken out by that deeper route and Saquon Barkley coming underneath. So the, you know, so they, they had to respect that that it didn't matter, but there's still are examples of that. But when he can start to do stuff like this consistently, Nick, that's when I'm starting starting to get really, really, really excited about Jones. And I'm already excited about him from just what he did anyway in this game. So that's my play call of the game, or that's my throw of the game. Give me your play call of the game. Yeah, it's patience right there from Daniel Jones.
1: That's what that is, and that's not an easy thing to have when you're on the road in the Superdome with Dennis Allen's defense coming at you. So like you said, excellent sign of growth from Daniel Jones there. Play call of the game. I'm going to go with that touchdown pass to Saquon Barkley because it was a look that, as we went over on the YouTube, it was a look that they received from the Saints defense against that same formation earlier in the game, and the way Marshawn Lattimore played the out route to Evan Ingram, which was on the same two-receiver side to the boundary – as. Saquon Barkley kind of gave the Giants and Daniel Jones the heads up that Marshawn Lattimore might try to bait this and might try to get a little bit greedy and under out route, thinking that Daniel Jones is going to take the easy five yards to Evan Ingram. But instead, he hits Saquon Barkley vertical, and Marshawn Lattimore gets caught with his feet in the ground, getting greedy. And you love to see it. So I'm going to go with that adjustment, something they saw earlier in the game and the fact that they took advantage of it. That's great coaching and and great recognition from Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones.
2: And I'll go with the second and 14 screen pass to Barkley. Really good situational awareness by Jason Garrett here. Great play call after the Giants got backed up there um, on the penalty really just gets them out of that spot. They pick up the first down. It's wide open with space ahead of them for Barkley, and it saves this drive in my mind because there are a lot of directions this could have gone on that second and 14 that would have killed the drive and led to a punt. Give me the best player overall on film for you.
1: Best player overall on film for me? I'm going to go with Daniel Jones, man. It's difficult to go on the road, and I know he made a couple mistakes, but it's difficult to go on the road and put up 400 yards against a defense that hasn't surrendered 400 total yards this entire season, I think they surrendered like three eighty-five against the Carolina Panthers, something like that. Daniel Jones threw for four hundred and two, and that doesn't account for the twenty-seven yards that he had on the ground with his legs, leading this offense from a come-from-behind victory, making very, very difficult throws. Have to go with Daniel Jones here, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, it's one of two players for me: Daniel Jones or Andrew Thomas. I'm gonna go with Andrew Thomas because it's harder to play quarterback, and but he did have a few, you know, missed throws here or there, misreads, I guess I would say the thing, again the ball placement was so good and it's so much harder to play quarterback it probably should be jones but there's just nothing really bad for him. Andrew thomas all game when you focus on him on that end zone angle and you set that second look on the tape it's just like you start to look and you you want to watch thomas because that's the best player in the line and that's the most upside and that's the lock future guy you want to watch him so my eyes do tend to follow that direction a lot of the time and you just saw so much good from him and so little bad so i'm giving it to thomas give me a
1: another Another player that deserves honorable mention though, too, sure. for sure. It's Kadarius Tony. Oh yeah. Kadarius Galladay. Toney, Galladay. But Kadarius Tony, he's somebody who's, and we didn't even bring this up on the podcast, but this was somewhat of a return back to home for him. Now he's not from new Orleans, but he's from mobile, which is not far from new Orleans has the same type of feel as new Orleans been to mobile several times. That's where they have the Reese's senior bowl. And, uh, you know, that's actually where Marty Graw was originated in, in mobile, not in new Orleans. A lot of people, uh, I did not know that until I ended up going to mobile. So it was great to see Kadarius Tony be used in that manner within this Jason Garrett scheme and kind of see a little bit more of a creative play calling for a player that can do so much. And this is his first basically real utilization and full-time uh, opportunity that
2: he's received
1: with the injuries to Sterling Shepard and Darius Slayton.
2: Yep, No doubt about it. All right. Give me a pass blocking grade one through 10. Nine, nine.
1: I'm, I'm giving them a strong nine here. This is a good defense, and like we said throughout the entire podcast, there was a lot thrown at this offensive line, and they did a pretty damn good job picking it up and keeping their quarterback clean. So I got to go with a strong nine here. I'm not overly optimistic all the time when it comes to the offensive line, but they really earned it here.
2: And I'm going 8-9, and this is collectively and individually our highest grades by far on the season. I mean, if you look back at the three podcasts, we've done three alt games of all 22. We haven't come anywhere close into the eights yet. We're at eight, nine, and nine. I saw a few bad reps from Scara maybe, a few bad from, from Price, if anything. And Solder was helped the whole game, so he didn't really have too much chance to mess up. He had a couple bad reps, not too much, though. Um, there was one play where Andrew Thomas was walked back into Daniel Jones and, and kind of screwed up his throwing lane, but that was one play. I believe it was actually—I trying to remember which one it was. It might have been the whole shot that he missed at Kenny Galladay, the one we— talked about earlier where Jones had a whole shot to Galladay, but Thomas was kind of walked back in him, but man, for the most part, this was phenomenal pass blocking. So eight, nine and nine collectively, give me a run blocking one to 10.
1: Yeah. For run blocking. I think I'm going to go with a 5.2. I think, um I think Skura struggled a little bit getting up to the second level. Every time they tried running stretch type of runs to the outside, he's not overly athletic. I think it's difficult for him to, to kind of get up against guys like Pete Warner, who are quick, Type of linebackers and Demario Davis, who's one of the most underrated players in the National Football League, and there were there were there were holes, I, I would say, but it wasn't overly consistent. There was still you know the same similar issues we've seen throughout the year, where it was a, one guy didn't necessarily execute his assignment. I wouldn't say perfectly, but well enough to to allow the continuity of the play to work, to allow the play to work just in general. So I'm going to go with a five point two. I think it was it wasn't terrible, but it, there's definitely a lot of room for improvement.
2: We have a little bit of a different grade here. I almost want to even go lower. I'm going to go 4.1. I think that actually might be a little generous. They still can't really generate anything on the interior at all. They haven't been able to all season, really. That's a problem. They, you know, even some of their best run plays like the overtime Saquon Barkley touchdown, that was a really poorly blocked play. And it was just Barkley making an insane jump cut to get away from a bad, you know, unblocked player and then kind of finding his way into the end zone. There was some flash plays like every game. They have flash plays. The one I threw on Twitter, their 17 yard game with Barkley. That was a flash play. It was a really well blocked play. And there were a few like maybe there's like one to three or one to four of those a game. But you need more consistency than that. You can't just have one to four plays a game like that. And then just nothing on those interior runs. Like there's just no push most of the time at all on those interior runs. So honestly, looking at this again, I might, I think I might have to go even lower to like three, 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 five range. Like it's just, it's, it's not good right now. And it's okay. Like you have Max Billy price. Will Hernandez and Nate Soler as four of your five linemen. Like the fact that are is you might get your, they've shown that they can potentially get by this year with this, but they got two first round picks. Jones is potentially looking like the guy right now. And he keeps up on this trajectory. I hope at least one of those picks is used on the offensive line. I would not at all be opposed to two of their first three picks next year on the offensive line. Get guys like you said on, on this line. Guys who do have the athleticism that Skira doesn't have to get to that second level from the guard spot. Or somebody who can play right tackle and just block down and kill people in the run game. So... They just still need to improve this unit drastically, in my mind. Like, there's just one player I'm confident moving forward, considering, obviously, the Gates injury um, and, you know, where that might leave him. And so it is what it is, but for now, I can't really give it too high grade. All right, anything else on the offense before we wrap up?
1: no I think uh, I think that's everything I mean we've been going for a while here I love breaking down the offense and I'm, I'm excited for this defensive podcast it's going to drop shortly after the offensive one as well just uh you know progress man if, if the Giants and I think you said this earlier if the Giants can win this football game on the road against the Cowboys they are right back in the thick of the NFC East race it was a huge win against the Saints but they can't let up they can't celebrate they have to get to work and defeat this Dallas Cowboys team that it could could easily be a top five team in the NFL which is ridiculous Ridiculous, but
2: they're a uh, they're a damn good football team man it's not ridiculous though because their offense is unreal like they have in my mind one of the three best offense in the nfl their offense lines playing lights out Dak prescott i think is unbelievably good and only 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 haters could say he's bad at this point i mean the way he processes whew, boy and then the run game's great because their offensive line's great and now dan quinn's coaxing out a great defense somehow they found The the way to unlock Trayvon Diggs, like he's one of the best playing, like one of the best corners in the NFL right now. They've, you know, Micah Parsons, immediate impact on that defense, immediately changed how that defense looks. And Quinn, man, he's doing a great job. So no, it's not like this is a huge game for the Giants. If they want to be taken seriously this year, they have to at minimum be competitive, but really they have to pull up the upset here. They have to build momentum, stack another win here. They want to be taken seriously. There's been a lot of fanfare, a lot of celebration about this win against the Saints. It was a great win. But for me, this win was more important because of what it showed this offense of being capable of and of what this quarterback is, is capable of and what this left tackle and Andrew Thomas is capable of. This win to me was not a win that made me think, OK, the Giants are now a Super Bowl contender because they can beat a Saints team with Jameis Winston starting and a bad off and an offensive line that just simply hasn't looked anything like it had in the past two seasons. I don't know what the reason, by the way, for that is with the Saints. I'm sure it's injury related, but their line, man, did not look what it like, what it used to be. Um, In my mind, at least. But anyway, moving forward, we'll talk about the defense in the next podcast. Thank you to everyone tuning in. Please, please help us out. If you're already subscribed on iTunes, hit unsubscribe, resubscribe, subscribe again. Leave us a rating, a review. Find us on Instagram at NYBigBlueBanter. But please, the key thing here, man, help us build out this YouTube page. You guys say you want these video breakdowns, and we put up the first one, breaking down five plays. I think it was a great video, and it's our first time doing it. So, first of all, humble brag, I guess, or just weird brag because you shouldn't be saying those kind of things about your own content i guess i don't know but you know what i'm confident in it i'm confident i thought it was a good show we put together a good little 10 12 minute clip breaking down plays going over them with you so check out our youtube page please hit subscribe there we want to reach a thousand we're at just under 900 at this time help us grow on that otherwise have a great rest of your week and we'll talk to you soon